years, the effects of playing violent video games have been a hot topic for mainstream media, authors, politicians and a multitude of discussion panels. They are blamed for everything from schoolyard bullying to psychosis and the internet is filled with stories of gamers hooked to their screens. But what effects do these violent video games really have on us? I'm Paige, and in this episode of Beyond the Paper, I'm joined by Dr Stephen Most of the School of Psychology at the University of New South Wales to discuss the findings of his paper, Aversive Images Cause Less Perceptual Interference Among Violent Video Game Players, Evidence from Emotional-Induced Blindness. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So the study that your team's conducted, it's looked at something quite different from what traditional studies have looked at um, in terms of aggression and antisocial behaviour that have been shown to be linked to these violent video games. So what was it that your team looked at that was so different? Well, before getting into that, I just want to acknowledge who uh, the rest of my team. Uh, so we, this is a, a project that we ran at UNSW. It was actually uh, an honours thesis in my lab uh, by um, Myung Jin, um, who we also know as, as David Jin in our lab, uh, and uh, my PhD student, Sandy Oni, and my uh, colleague who's actually here at Macquarie, Kim Kirby. Well, uh, like you said in the introduction, um, which was very nice, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, there is a lot of interest in the effects of uh, violent video games on social behavior and aggression and you know how people treat each other. Um, but the way we arrived at the question that we were uh, asking was not so much looking out at society and um, wondering how we can address these, um, you know, societally important questions, uh, but more from an understanding of perception and how what we see around us is driven by our emotional responses to things around us. Um, I think a lot of people have uh, an intuition or a belief that seeing is all about the eyes. So, for example, I imagine that there are many introductory psychology students who open up their textbook and see um, a chapter on sensation and perception. And if they're anything like I was when I was an introductory psychology student, they might wonder, why is this even in here? That's about what the eyes do. I'm interested in what the mind does. Um, but it turns out that um, what we actually experience around us and what we see as we go through our day-to-day -day life is um, only partially driven by what our eyes take in. Because once that information reaches our eyes, um, our mind has to use that to construct. Literally, like, we, we, perception is called uh, constructive process. It's a, something that we construct moment to moment. Um, and the way our mind does that is through um, uh, in incorporating our expectations about what we think is going to be in a scene, um, incorporating um, uh, well, our emotional responses also shape what we see. So things that are emotional tend to grab our attention. And that's something that we've known about for a long time. And in fact, um, it's the way that emotional things grab our attention has been a topic of interest in the clinical psychology literature because people who have high anxiety, for example, tend to have their attention grabbed more by things that are threatening than um, people who don't have high anxiety. So then these violent video games, they're kind of so attention-grabbing. So is that sort of why you got interested in that area? Well, I guess I'm kind of uh, was sort of giving the long <laughs> kind of history of how we got there. So th that's basically the, the foundation for how we came at this question. Um, now, um, people have different experiences of the, the emotional things that are around us. You can think of a first responder who, you know, as part of their job, is constantly confronted with uh, traumatic 
images, and uh, they might get less reactive to that than people who are encountering something like that, like that for the first time. To what degree does that affect their literal perception of what's around us? And rather than going and trying to test a whole bunch of um, first responders, uh, we figured that, well, one common difference in the general population is the degree to which people engage or choose to engage in violent uh, video games. Uh, and to what degree uh, do differences in how much people play these violent video games actually translate into differences in what we might see around us um, when we're not playing those video games? Um, so, for example, uh, I study something called emotion-induced blindness. And uh, what that refers to is this finding that we have found over and over again that when people are looking at a computer screen and they're looking for a target uh, at something in the streams that are flashing by very fast, um, they're usually pretty good at seeing uh, targets that are flashed by even at a, at a rate of 10 uh, per second. Uh, but if you insert an emotional picture just before that target appears, all of a sudden they can't see the one target that they're looking right at. It's as if this uh, emotional information sort of hijacks the perceptual system and keeps you from seeing the one the target that you're looking for. Um, and you can imagine that um, when it comes to uh, people like first responders who have to focus in on important information despite the emotional context around them, uh, this might have some real-world relevance. You want them to not be blinded to the stuff that they're it's part of you know, the job of saving someone's life uh, because they happen to be confronted with other you know, traumatic imagery. Okay, so emotion, in emotion blindness, you can't see the targets that you're looking for because you happen to have been confronted by an emotional distractor. Well, to what degree do people who choose to engage in a lot of violent video games, to, which, to what degree are they less sensitive to these distractors in such a way that they can still see the targets that they're looking for despite the presence of an emotional distractor that flashes in front of their eyes? So the sample that you were looking at were mostly undergrad students. With that sample, how did you break them up in terms of who did you place in a violent video game category? How did you break up that sort of sample? That's a, that's a great question. So we're very lucky at UNSW, and I, I believe you have the same sort of system here at Macquarie, where um, we can pre-screen the entire introductory psychology student population. We can give them some questionnaires, and they, and then we can ask. We can we can uh, we can arrange the recruitment. So then they go online to sign up for studies. They go and they take a look at studies that they want to. Uh, sign up for. So for this pre-screening, we um, ask them how many hours of video games they play per week and how violent these video games are, to, which, to what degree do they involve killing and shooting. And then we uh, decide that people who played over five hours a week of violent video games, of games that involved a lot of shooting and a lot of killing, we were going to classify them as our violent video game players. And uh, people who... Um, played a lot over five hours of, uh, of video games a week that had no violent content, we we're going to classify as our frequent violent, uh, our frequent video game players, but not with no violence in it. And then the people who reported uh, playing no video games a week uh, were our non-players. And it turned out that uh, we got a nice, healthy sample of people who reported playing no video games during the week on a week-to-week -week basis. And we got a lot of people who reported playing over five hours a week of video games that involved a lot of violent content, uh, but hardly anyone who met the criteria where they played over five hours a week of video games that happened to not be violent. And so though we would have liked to have included those people in as like an ideal control, uh, we, we didn't 
get enough people coming into our lab to do the comparison that way. Um, so that's how we categorize them as uh, violent video game players or non-players. So then how did you set up the experiment? So in terms of that emotional-induced bias experiment that you've been using in the past, so how was the experiment then set up for um, your sample? How did, how did the emotional-induced bias experiment design fit into that? So um, came into the lab. And what was really uh, cool about the way that, and I think an important feature of how we uh, did our uh, recruitment of participants, is that um, we had a, we had set uh, categorized them as being uh, violent video game players or non-video game players ahead of time, and only let those people who met those criteria see the study online, and then they signed up as as they would. But what that meant is that when they came into the lab, they actually had no knowledge that they didn't they didn't know that the reason that we had recruited them into the lab had anything to do with their video game playing history. And that's important because if they knew that there was a link between their video game playing and why we had brought them into the study, then there might be what we call demand characteristics, where their performance in the lab reflects their belief about what they should look like because they play because we've identified them as violent video game players. But in this case we had eliminated that. So they came into our lab and sat at a computer and they engaged in uh, an emotion-induced blindness task. And what that involves is on er trial after trial of rapidly flashed images. Every trial involves a, a rapid sequence of uh, images, uh, one, one replacing the other every 100 milliseconds. And um, all of them are upright landscape photos, uh, except for uh, a target. There's one target embedded in each stream, which is a landscape photo that's rotated 90 degrees uh, clockwise or 90 degrees counterclockwise. And at the end of every trial, they simply push one of two buttons to say which way was that target rotated. Now, even though everything's flashing by at a rate of 10 per second, people are very good at, at this task. But on a majority of the trials, there was also a distractor, a task-irrelevant distractor that was also embedded in that stream of, of images that happened to be a picture of a person or an animal with uh, no obvious emotional content to it. It would be just a snapshot of people hanging out. Or it would be an image that had some strong emotional content. It could be um, an image of uh, a violent assault. It could be of um, a horrific injury. It could be uh, some disgusting pictures like uh, very, very dirty toilet bowls, things that sort of would leap out at you because of their emotional content. And what we normally find is that when those emotion, when those distractors that are embedded in the stream happen to have that emotional content, people's accuracy at uh, seeing the target that they're looking for also they, they, their accuracy falls way off, even though they're looking right at the target. So that's what the um, emotion displaynus task looks like. We also at the end ask them to rate a subset of the distractors in terms of how emotional they found them, and that was it. It was a very short lab visit. So then what were your main findings? So after all of your participants had come in, they'd been tested, what were the main findings? The main findings were that for the non-violent video game players, they looked like just like everyone else that we test. Um, really significantly worse accuracy following an emotional distractor than following uh, a non-emotional distractor. Uh, um, and that's the effect that we call emotion-induced blindness. But the uh, violent video game players showed much less impairment following those emotional distractors. There were a couple other controls, a couple other manipulation checks that we had in included in there. We took a look at the two groups um, in terms of how accurate they were following non-emotional distractors, and they didn't differ. 
And that's important because it could have been that the people who were violent video game players are so used to reacting fast to things on the screen that they're just going to be better overall, right? They're just going to have better, they're going to be less distracted overall. It had nothing to do with the emotional content. So it was very, very important for us to take a look at did these two groups differ when those distractors had no emotional uh, content and there was no difference there, at least not a, a, measure, a statistically measurable one. And they also didn't differ from each other when uh, there was no distractor. And so those were very, very important in informing our conclusions. Uh, it allowed us to say that whatever difference is going on between these two groups might be, it looks like it's being driven by how they're reacting to the emotional content. Uh, and in fact, uh, when you looked at how they rated the distractors afterwards in terms of how emotionally, how emotionally rated them to be, the uh, people who played a lot of violent video games rated them as being less intense and less negative than uh, the people who were not uh, video game players. Mm. Okay, so basically, violent video game players, they're not seeing the emotion. They're sort of, they're just sort of reacting the same as if you're in like a normal trial. Is that sort of what, so there's kind of, they're not, they're not reacting to that emotion. Is that? Yeah. Um, I don't think it's fair to say that they're not seeing the emotion, but it's not, um, pulling their attention away from the, their, their goal-driven task as much. They don't have this reflexive, um, you know, shock to the system. It doesn't that, sort of jump out at them sort of things so as well, much. Well, that's a or... really, really good question. Um, no, if we had, you know, if we looked at their, um, tested them on their memory for the images, they might, you know, it's an open question as to whether they would differ. They may have perceived the distractors just as much as the non-video game players did. We don't really know whether that's the case or not. So I, I can't answer the question as to whether they didn't see the emotion as much, but when it came to how emotional that they felt the pictures were, they seemed to find them a little bit less disturbing. And uh, when it came to uh, the degree to which these pictures sort of threw them off of um, their, their intentional task, what they're trying to do, um, they may have seen the emotional content, but they were able to dismiss it right away. Um, so they were less reflexively or less involuntarily disrupted mm. by them. Okay. So I've been reading, there's been um, recently a quote that came up from, it's the IGN Corporation. It was a forum on a website from a gaming corporation in America. And the quote was from some sort of forum that there's a heap of gamers. And it kind of, I think it kind of reflects the other side of it because there is a group, especially gamers, who don't think that violent video games have anything to do with the antisocial behavior or any of the violence that seems to come out of playing them. And the quote was, games don't reflect violence, they reflect the violent society we already live in. So in terms of the results of that experiment, what would, what would you make of that? In terms of how it... Uh, how, would it... how it reflects the results, because I yeah. find that quite strange. They, they think it's society, it's not the gaming that is doing it sort of thing. Yeah, um, you know... I think there's a. I think there's going to probably be a, a, a big role of, of society. You know, you take a look at the kinds of uh, movies and um, and TV shows that are and the way they're marketed and you know all this. The the violence is often glorified. You know, think about uh, Bruce Willis in Die Hard, which is probably a little bit before most of your audience's time. <laughs> but um, you know, it's 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 it's, it's glorified. But at the same time. I don't think there's a doubt that there is some role in that. 
Uh, but at the same time, the people who play uh, a lot of violent video games are living in the same society as the people who aren't playing a lot of violent video games. And for uh, some reason, some people are you know, drawn to the violent video games and other people uh, are not. And I don't think it's a simple, I don't think you can make some simple claim about why they're being drawn to, to the violent video games. I think you're going to have a whole bunch of reasons why people are drawn to them that range from um, worrying to just it's harmless. And I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if most of the time it's, it's harmless. A related question that comes up is, can our findings of uh, reduced emotion to blindness say anything about the impact of violent video games on people's aggression or their desensitization to uh, moral violations or things like that? And um, I think it's very, very important to stress that they don't. Uh, my area of study is um, what I call, what we call visual cognition. It's basically trying to understand the cognitive processes that allow us to build the, our, our perception of the world around us. And uh, that's easier to take into a lab and study. Um, when it comes to how people are going to treat each other and how they're going to um, act out in, violent, in, in anger when people get in their way or how they deal with frustration, the way people behave outwardly is going to be colored by uh, a lot of things, including their values and what they, how they've been, what they, what they believe is appropriate in certain situations, and uh, so it's a whole lot of factors that will shape a person's outward behavior. Um, and when it comes to the literature, the research on to what degree do violent video games cause aggression or, or lead people to become more violent, it's actually a really, really messy literature. You have some studies and some large reviews that's, that come to the conclusion that there is an effect. And you have other large studies that suggest that there is no measurable effect. And I think that one of the reasons it's such a messy literature is because it's such a complicated uh, phenomenon. There are all these factors that are going to play into how we treat each other. Yeah, it's almost like you can't study every single factor, so they're only looking at a very small number in the end. Yeah, Exactly. And it may be that we're able to find more reliable effects of uh, linked with violent video game playing when we look at that perceptual level. Precisely because when it comes to what we see, it's not going to be as shaped by our own beliefs about what's appropriate to see or, or, um, you know, or our beliefs about how we should act. These are more reflexive, very minute effects. Um, so. Yeah. so I guess my final question would be, um, if there's parents who might be concerned about um, the effects of violent video games on their kids or on their teenagers especially, because the adolescent brain is very susceptible to... A lot of outside stimuli, they get very, you know. What would be your advice in terms of what you've found? Does it really change the perception of their world? That's, you know, that's a really, really good question. And as someone who uh, studies these sort of lab-based phenomena, you know, I, I have a temptation. I'm tempted to talk about how these kinds of effects scale up and affect differences in, in what we see around us as we, you know, go about a, um, a normal day. Uh, I think there are going to be very very specific situations in which these might these differences might emerge, uh, situations in which we do have to be confronted with uh, emotional imagery. If you happen to pass by the scene of an accident, or are witness to uh, a violent assault, and maybe you have to give some eyewitness testimony about what you've seen, in these cases there may be differences in how folks see and what in what they've perceived. 
And yet I don't think this line of investigation that we are doing and the kinds of questions that we are tackling uh, should give um, parents reason to be concerned. You could imagine that um, an argument could be made for the opposite. Uh, if, like I, like I um, uh, said earlier, if someone is a paramedic or a first responder, you don't want them to be distracted by these the surrounding context of the uh, of the trauma. Maybe they should be playing a lot of violent video games to to, to brace themselves so that they're able to focus on the job uh, that we need them to do as as society members. Now, I, I can't make that recommendation also, I think it's also important to point out that we can't, at this point, make a causal claim. We can't say that people had less emotion-induced blindness because they had a history of playing violent video games. It could very well be that um, the people who were drawn to the violent video games in the first place simply, personality-wise, have to be less affected or, or less reactive to emotional, to graphic emotional imagery, and that's what allowed them or what drew them to the violent video games in the first place. And so it's a kind of a chicken and egg problem. We don't know whether which, which way it came. So you know, it could very well be that you could go through your whole life choosing to play violent video games because you're hoping it's going to uh, protect your perception in the context of a traumatic witnessing some sort of trauma, and it might not have that kind of effect because we don't know which, what the, the, the causal direction is of the effect. Again, though, as far as parents' concerns go, you know, I certainly don't want to minimize the concerns that they might have about how exposure to violent media might affect their kids' expectations about how life should be and how they're going to treat each other. The literature right now on, on that is, is messy. I'm not an expert in that particular corner of the literature. But as far as its impact on perception goes, I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I don't think it's a reason for concern at this point. So that's about all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining me. It's definitely a topic that warrants a lot of investigation. Um, the, like you said, the, the literature is still kind of a bit messy, a bit, it just needs more. It, there's more investigation, I guess. Would that be, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's always room for more investigation. Yeah. So. Um, well, thank you for listening. Look out for more episodes of Beyond the Paper as we release them through the year. Thanks for listening.